to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Sachit Mehra is a strong community voice that spends so much of his time giving back. As an entrepreneur, speaker, and community advocate, Sachit is a leader through and through. If you recall the groundswell and the fervor, and, and, and thank God for it, uh, around local uh, last year, it was deafening uh, across social media, uh, across the news channels. Uh, people did not want to see their beloved uh, restaurant spaces closed, um, you know, uh, other event spaces closed, and they supported them as best we can. I sat down with Sachit Mehra, co-owner and manager of the East India Company Pub and Eatery, to talk about how business is intertwined with philanthropy, COVID-19's effect on the food service industry, and how to deal with the collective challenges we face moving forward. Sachit Mehra, entrepreneur, co-owner, and manager of the East India Company Pub and Eatery, as well as serving on many volunteer positions, 11 board positions, including the chair of the Winnipeg Downtown Biz and a member of the 2015 Grey Cup Steering Committee. Sachit, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Nolan, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me here. One of my most favorite uh, boards is the Development Committee at the Winnipeg Foundation, uh, where I get to spend some time. Just a, a phenomenal group of people. Uh, you know, welcome to Sky, uh, to yes. the organization. I know, I know Sky from uh, previous lives, and he's going to do some phenomenal uh, things. Uh, and to Rick Frost, uh, what a leader. Um, and by the truest definition of, of the word, the, the path that uh, he set forward and blazed uh, across the board for, you know, so many communities uh, and so many boards across Manitoba, uh, you know, is going to be, uh, is uh, well, it's unprecedented. I know in my board career, and you mentioned all these 11 different boards, uh, you know, it you hear about the Winnipeg Foundation all the time um, on all these different organizations and all the things that they touch. And, you know, one of the first comments I made was, uh, when I got onto the development committee, uh, was that, oh, this is where it all starts. And uh, it was uh, just a phenomenal organization. So kudos to you all. Well said, well said. Yeah, it's it's been kind of tough because, you know, uh, Rick's been there for almost a quarter of a century, and then we couldn't really have a special, like, get together, you know, shake his hand, look him in the eye and say, thank you for your service. But maybe after this all sort of shakes down and is said and done, we can, we can get that done. But um, maybe... Let's start there. Let's start for the last 16 to 18 months. How have your businesses been doing? We kind of talked before we started recording, and I, I, I really want to dig back into there because for the restaurant industry right now, it is a, a shift is, is not even close to handling you know, where we're going and where we've been. So maybe just give me a quick breakdown of the last 16 months for you and, and how things have been going and how you guys have pivoted. Certainly. Uh, what a time, uh, first of all. And you know, this all started in March, uh, at least within the Canadian context, uh, last March in, in 2020. And March 16th, you know, we would have, uh, well, that weekend we had had a discussion, it was a Monday, uh, we had had a discussion that weekend with our uh, sister locations out in Ontario. And so my two brothers that manage uh, those places out there and where I go once a month to visit and see how the operations are, uh, but we had seen what was coming out of uh, Quebec. We we saw what was happening in Ontario and the potential announcements. And, you know, this still wasn't a reality 
in in Manitoba at that time. It, it just wasn't a thing. But you know, we had collectively had a discussion, and we decided that uh, you know, in the best interest of our staff, our guests, uh, and to understand exactly what's going on, that we take a three day pause. And that we close. We close on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday, and we see what's going on. Of course, that three-day pause, Nolan, extended into wow. seven days, seven days extended into 14, 14 extended into about 20. And that's where the province of Manitoba, following Ontario's lead, uh, essentially announced these closures. Uh, across the board. And so, you know, I recall, you know, we had been one of the first establishments uh, at the hospitality level to close and, you know, being a little bit upset as, as one, a local person still seeing other established establishments open and still operating uh, at that time. And, you know, just given all the unknowns, we felt that it was appropriate to, to close. And we did. Um, that was like, you mentioned 17, 16, 17 months ago. Um, I, cannot cannot relate to you um what we have been through as a family as a business um over the last 16 17 months it's probably along the hardest things we've ever done to bridge day to day week to week payroll to payroll rent period to rent period uh and to make sure that we're still viable concern and i still consider us amongst the lucky few where you know we are Manitoba's highest rated, longest standing family restaurant, 50 years, three generations. Uh, I know I don't look it, but I've been doing this for almost 30 years, uh, if not just a year over. And you know it's been, you know we're, we're fortunate because we've been supported by this community. Um, they rallied, they rallied around local, they rallied around us and so many other businesses. Uh, to make sure that they could still make it viable. But having said that, uh, it was still a reduction in 60 to 65% of uh, gross sales. Right. Um, you know, if you made $100 a month, Nolan, and I said, you know what, now you only get 45 and you still got to make sure everything uh, happens the way it was under 100. You know, how would you, how would you bridge that? How would you answer that question? And that for us, one important decision we made right off the bat, though, was that we would not let go of any of our permanent full-time staff. Amazing. So we kept all of our full-time staff across all the locations. Uh, it came at tremendous cost, but, you know, our staff is like our, our family. Yeah. Um, in many cases, they've been with us for almost two decades. And it was important to, you know, important to make sure that, you know, even though the time was difficult for us now, um, you know, they've been with us in good times. And we were going to make sure that, you know, we, we, we reciprocated um you know that loyalty and so they're with us they're family yeah. and that's across all the restaurants and we're proud of that fact well, uh, so having said all that i never want to repeat the last 70 months of my life oh, again. no kidding yeah my, my friends and i like all my old uh, chef buddies we have sort of a group chat and we and we we're just sort of reminiscing like what what because i was in the in the i was telling you before we were recording i was in the restaurant industry for about 12 years before i started at the foundation and like what could it have been like for all, like, you don't really think about how many people are employed in the, in that service industry that just went from a hundred to zero essentially. Right. So, I mean, how have you, did it weigh on you to, 
you said you kept your full-time staff on and there's so many people that rely on that. Like, did it weigh on you at any point to, to, to think about like these people's well-being is in my hands. I, we need to take care of them. Like what, what was that like going through your mind when this was all happening? Nolan, that's the, that's the predominant thing that was in, in our mind. Uh, you know, these folks aren't employees. These folks are, but as far as I'm concerned, family, right? They've been with us for years and, and in, in a couple of cases, a couple of decades. Um, you know, we, we didn't want to, um, you know, uh, make a decision on, on their lives as things were difficult on, on, on the restaurant side. And so, you know, there was always this thing to kind of uh, bridge to the other side of this and, and keep waiting and, you know, keeping them on, um, you know, on the restaurant side. Again, we've been very fortunate. Um, the, the takeouts kept coming in. There was a rally around local and that helped out. The restaurants don't make any money. They probably lose a few bucks right. across the board, uh, quite a few bucks across the board. And, you know, that's not just our story. That's the story that's across uh, many restaurants across the country. I, I sit on not only the Manitoba Restaurant Food Association uh, here in Manitoba on the board of directors, but I also sit on as a director at Restaurants Canada at the national level, uh, representing Ontario and spaces here in Manitoba. And so, you know, this is not, a, this story is not unique to us. Right. This is okay. across the country. Uh, and you've seen it everywhere in different restaurants and different managers have uh, and owners have had to do different things to, you know, bridge themselves across the board as well. And, you know, it's a phenomenal story of people really looking after their their own uh, and by function, their communities. Right. You're keeping these people hired. You're keeping them inside the system. Uh, and that's exactly what you want. Um, having said that, uh, you know, there's a lot of staff that did move on. Um, and I think, you know, you and I discussed a little bit of that offline as well. You know, this has been 16 months. Um, a lot of the staff, you know, after different programs, whether they were federal or provincial, uh, weighed out, uh, they would move on to other industries, you know, and right now, whether that was home renovations or gardening uh, supplies or, you know, different retail opportunities at the large scale opened up, you know, these were lucrative industries that and have been and are. Um, you know, where this staff has moved on to. And now as restaurants slowly are creaking and groaning back into operation in different jurisdictions across the country, you know, some at 10%, some at 20%. I think in Manitoba, we've got 25% household coming back in on Saturday, um, you know, June 26th, uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what does that look like? Where's that staff going to be? Are they going to be available? Um, you know, is the pool big enough? Uh, to source from, you know, one of the questions right. for, for restaurants, you know, initially was, what does the supply chain look like? You know, and I, I called this 12 months ago, 14 months ago, and I said that there was going to be huge issues with the supply chain because the supply chain, uh, for a number of reasons, primarily A, has diverted to other markets, B, has been disrupted because of a lack of workers or shutdown to certain industries because of COVID. You know, uh, lumber, for example, in, in Canada is a prime example. There's no shortage of trees in Canada. There, 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 there's, there's tons of trees. The problem is uh, the mills have been disrupted uh, and the workers disrupted because COVID had an effect and they had to shut down for a couple of months. And, you know, additional products were sold to different markets in the U.S. for a higher price. And now you've got, you know, uh, lumber at triple, quadruple, or whatever you want to call it, um, cost-wise. Similarly, with staff, as we open up, that staff has now been diverted into different areas. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to 
want to bring them back in. And the restaurants may have a difficult time proving a case uh, because, you know, those restaurants may or may not necessarily have the consistent volume that they did in 2019. Yes, you may have a euphoric first couple of weeks, couple of months of people right. wanting to come back. But after that, you know, is the market there to, you know, bring you back to those sustained 2019 numbers, right. you know, where you had active um, a per diem dollars in the system with, uh, business and pleasure tourism at, at, at a max, uh, with people working downtowns or in different sectors mm -hmm. at a max, mm -hmm. uh, people traveling around on the regular with, you know, seemingly uh, fearless, um, you know, so all of those things uh, combined, you know, and, and I think the last thing to stand on, on the labor question is going to be, you know, immigration has always been a part of Canada's story. Um, and historically, you know, we don't depend on who you talk to, but certainly from my perspective, you know, we don't bring in that many people. We, we bring in, you know, I think the latest quota was 425, 450,000 people a year. Um, I would challenge that number over the last couple of years. I don't think there were any people brought in over the now, no, last yeah, couple exactly. of years, over the last couple of years because of pandemic. And so mm -hmm. you're going to have this double whammy of very low to no immigration, uh, you know, for, uh, labor, um, and even skilled labor or however you want to define it. And then second, you know, a massive demand. And if the answer is going to come back from jurisdictional leaders or uh, leadership across the board, well, but just pay them more, uh, you know, that's an easy answer. And I think everybody wants to have uh, a livable, um, livable wage. We're 100% in support of that. And that makes 100%. But if the answer is $20 an hour, $22 an hour for um, you know, opening uh, uh, labor force, uh, you're going to have rest, you know, a, a whole other challenge for restaurants across the board uh, that may not be part of the plan digestible yeah. uh, to, to the public in general. Very well said. Obviously, you're thinking about this stuff quite a bit. And, and you mentioned sort of like building a bridge to, to, to close that gap. But the only issue with that metaphor is we don't know how long of a gap it is, right? So you're starting to build a bridge and you don't know what the end point is. So how do you, how do you reconcile with, you know, making a plan for X amount of days, but you don't really see, I mean, we now see the sort of light at the end of the tunnel per se, but how, how have you been handling planning for something that has no visible end in sight for the last 16 months? Like what, what's that process been like for you guys? It feels like it's been 20 years, right? Um, it, it, it's been it's been scary, and you talk to different restaurant people, and they'll tell you different things. You know, you know, rewinding again back to the very early days of this March, April, May, when you reduced your numbers down to pretty much you know 30 percent or 20 percent or zero percent, depending bones, on what yeah, exactly. business was. You know, you're right. What did the next two weeks look like, and where was the payroll going to come from? Um, you know, let me be positive. The the great light. Uh, at the tunnel in terms of planning uh, was in December when the announcement was that the vaccine mm. was going to be largely available. Um, I can't tell you how positive that was. I mean, everybody recalls back in October, November, you were still operating uh, on, you know, restrictive levels with no real idea or clue as to when an opening was going to legitimately, realistically, and respectfully come. And, you know, it wasn't until that vaccine announcement was uh, made in December and then the rollout was going to come in the first quarter and second quarter of the next year, you know, that you could really start making plans of, 
you know, what it looks like to come back and start opening. And so, you know, step one really started December 2020. And for the entire, you know, three quarters prior to that, uh, there was, uh, you know, you were just kind of hoping and waiting. I recall a very early conversation in March, April, May, and it was on one of my national boards um, uh, there were, where I was having a discussion. And I said to the guys, you know, this was very early, March, April. And I said, you know, guys, if, if these numbers that they're talking about right now and these paradigms um, are real, uh, my business sense tells me that, you know, you could be looking at a three or four year recovery process. And I recall Nolan Snickers on that call. Snickers, what is that guy talking about? How, how Three years, you call. Again, no one here in business has any yardstick to, to what this has been. The closest we had was in 0809 uh, when um, uh, SARS came along. And, you know, really that was confined, uh, you know, in Toronto and in, in BC, if I recall correctly, you know, and that, I mean, it had an effect, but a limited effect uh, on the public in general. There's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. Yeah. And so, you know, those are the comments I made early on. There's Snickers. And, you know, I, I, I now recall six months ago, you know, senior analysts at Air Canada came back uh, and reported in their quarterly call that uh, they did not see a return to 2019 levels till third or sorry, fourth quarter, 2023, first quarter, uh, 2024. And yeah. I even, I think that's optimistic, right? Yeah. Because if you consider the spectrum of public, you know, you've got a certain amount of the public, uh, you know, maybe guys like you and me, Nolan, right? We can't wait to get out, right? Get me on the patio, get me in the restaurant, get me in the buffet line, get me in the bar, whatever, what, you know, get me on the plane, get me to Mexico. All of that together, yes, please. And then you've got a whole other group of people on the other end of the spectrum where they have now established an entire circle around online ordering of goods and services, online ordering of food services. And they technically and realistically don't ever have to leave their house, potentially. Um, and, and, and so, you know, when you're talking about, you know, peaks in business, you know, as a business, we've been around for 50 years, you know, we consecutively did better every year for the 50 years that we were in business, except, of course, for the last two, where it was right off a cliff. And those peaks of businesses uh, or business volume require, you know, everything hitting on all eight cylinders mm -hmm. of that V8 engine, right? high public confidence, people going out, high corporate expenditures, uh, high levels of travel, high level of uh, people wanting to spend their disposable income, so on and so forth. Uh, you basically, you know, probably chopped the, the peak off that mountain right now with that, you know, whatever that number is, whether it's a 5%, a 3%, or as high as a 10%, I think it's significant. And so to earn that trust and that confidence back, of those folks to get them traveling again back inside the restaurants, I think that's going to be job one for for, sure. uh, for a lot of businesses. Well, yeah, knowing I don't know as clearly as much as you do when it comes to restaurants, but I know a little bit about the numbers and the margins and the you know, it's it's a tight business model to begin with before a worldwide pandemic. 
Um, what I do see is because this is such a, you know, monumental shift in society, do you think the response is going to be monumental as well? And, and what I mean by that is you already mentioned a little bit about how the community is rallying around. I see so many posts online about shop local, eat local, you know, support local. Um, do you think it's going to be enough to offset the, you know, the, um, the, the, the business models that having obviously there's going to be a swell of support in the in the coming weeks and coming months but will that be sustainable and how what are you seeing on sort of a community level when it comes to supporting local and understanding how the model works and that we you know we shouldn't be ordering from amazon we should maybe go down the road and and buy from the local you know cobbler or whatever. is yeah. cobbler still a thing you know 100 yeah, yeah, i use them regularly oh, uh you know i love my shoes i got that from my dad uh for sure uh listen Great question, you know, and I, I, I think the bottom line on it, first of all, especially in the first uh, uh, two quarters uh, of the pandemic last year was, you know, if you recall the groundswell and the fervor, and, and, and thank God for it, uh, around local uh, last year, it was deafening uh, across social media, uh, across the news channels. Uh, people did not want to see their beloved uh, restaurant spaces close, um, you know, uh, other event spaces close, and they supported them as best we can. And let me rewind a little bit, you know, when you talk about uh, a country's culture, a people's culture, you know, our culture is not defined by Netflix. It is, it is not defined, God bless Netflix and, and all those folks, uh, you know, it's not defined by, you know, us walking from the bathroom to the den. You know, that's not our culture. Our culture is our event spaces, our historical spaces, our restaurant spaces, um, that's what defines Canadian culture. And, you know, that was under threat, uh, especially early on during the pandemic, and people reacted accordingly. They did not want to see those spaces go. And, you know, so you had this huge push. So then it begs the question, why did we lose so many restaurants? Why did they close? Because as you stated, um, of course, you know, the 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 line, the margin line on restaurants is razor thin. And when the paradigm shifted and we lost the ability to dine in, upsell when customers are inside, work on that margin, to retain that margin for the business itself, um, you know, restaurants were severely impacted because what took the space of what a restaurant would normally uh, take in was delivery services. Um, whichever ones you want to call them from across across the country, those rates were anywhere from 20, 25, 30% plus. And so let's put this in context. Every dollar that you just spent at that restaurant, 30 cents of it went to uh, this delivery fee. Many restaurants could not support that and simply closed because they were paying out of pocket to run that business. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you consider food costs, fair wage labor inside, uh, regulatory compliance uh, and composure, then, you know, there's very little left. And when you now add in 30%, so you saw these, these companies actually probably, you know, be the winners of the pandemic. And this was across the country where a lot of these small mom and pop shop, uh, brother and sister establishments, uh, you know, take the brunt of this and unfortunately close by the handful across the country. And we saw it repeat over and over in these stories. And it answers the question, why did this happen? It happened because 
you know, the, the delivery paradigms uh, certainly wasn't working. I know in my conversations with our restaurant people, they were always grateful when people called in, put the order, pick it up, you know, or, or did curbside or did something like that uh, directly into the restaurant. That works, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the second you're introducing the third party in, it was, uh, it, you know, extremely damaging. A lot of establishments, they created a cash flow. They lived within that cash flow. Um, you know, through these delivery services, and that was it. So there was no room for profit. Um, it was uh, it was just living said, you know, probably just maybe a little bit of loss. You know, I always describe I always describe the, the restaurant business as you know, you've got your icing of, of a cake, that's your profit. You've got your cake in between, that's your you know operating area, and then you've got your cookie, which is you know what you should be saving. And you know, both the cookie and the icing were completely eliminated or digested again, part of the pun, uh, yeah. as, uh, you know, as, as this pandemic waned on, uh, it's been a difficult time. Uh, I know that's why restaurants are so excited uh, towards the opening and moving away from some of these very uh, restrictive uh, style of um, services that are out there. Yeah, I really, I definitely can't wait. Um, you obviously have such a community mindset. Was this instilled in you at a young age, or did you kind of come into it as you started your businesses, or where did where did this where did this mantra come from? You know, I, I grew up in uh, I grew up uh, on Winnipeg Avenue uh, and on on McDermott. We used to have a, a small family restaurant there called um, India Gardens. Um, went to French immersion uh, school, South Francisco, on professional interview on Francis, uh, You know, I loved, uh, I loved our community. I loved to see how it operated. Uh, you know, we were right across from the Health Sciences Center. I was fascinated by the Health Sciences Center, uh, the different parts of it. You had the dentistry on one side, emergency on the other side, you know, long-term palliative care on another side, general on another side, and this massive community of people coming together to help other people it was you know in my brain just this fascinating paradigm and i would see it i would see it in the restaurant every day they would come in and you would communicate and you would talk and you know you'd hear about all the different stories that were going on it was it was amazing it wasn't until oh i would say my later years grade 11 10 11 12 you know you'd get involved in um, you know model un and you'd start learning about the environment, uh, you know, not only here in Canada, but across the world. And what air meant to you here in Manitoba mm-hmm. meant a wholly different thing in Shenzhen, China. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it meant a wholly different thing in New Delhi, uh, India, or Mumbai, uh, India, right? So, and, and exploring those thoughts and those ideas, you know, water quality, the thing that we take for granted, uh, wasn't necessarily uh, the, the same in Bombay. Uh, you know, that is here now and certainly you know, during pandemic times that that's certainly been uh, an exclamation point on that as well. You know, and then it was at youth parliament where, you know, you, you would explore local issues uh, in Manitoba around homelessness, um, you know, addiction, uh, mental health. Uh, you know, these for me were were always very important. You know, when I was chair uh, at the downtown biz, um, I believe from 2013, 14 to about 16, 17, you know, we had a number of initiatives that we had launched uh, to really combat, uh, create awareness, and to fund around uh, mental health, addictions, homelessness around Winnipeg. And for me, those were always very, very important. I've always been grateful, sincerely grateful for the work that is done by uh, our first responders, our people on the ground to 
you know, really address some of what's going on out there. You know, one program that I was always proud of was our CEO sleep out and the CEO sleep out, you know, you know, basically postulated that, you know, there was understanding amongst government and maybe the social side of kind of what is happening here, but really there wasn't a lot of awareness uh, on the public side and the enterprise side of, you know, what was happening in our downtown, even though that they were there all the time. And so, you know, we started the, the CEO sleep out, uh, you know, terrific work by the administration at the biz um, on, on that side of it. And I believe over a number of years, we uh, managed to raise almost a million dollars. And of course, those monies were redistributed to organizations uh, around our downtown to ensure, um, you know, better progress for everyone. I feel like maybe help me, tell me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed when I was growing up that business maybe it was just kind of what the the media that I was consuming, but it seemed sort of business had one goal in mind and that was the bottom line, the profit, you know, trying to just make money and that was it. And I kind of grew up with this cynical idea of quote unquote business and businessmen and stuff, but it seems in the last maybe decade or so, there has been so much more of a shift towards socially conscious businesses and being aware that, you know, if to, to have a thriving and surviving business, you have to have a thriving and, sur and surviving community around it. Um, am I wrong to think that business used to be only sort of one track minded about profits and nothing else? Or am I being a little too cynical? And how have you seen sort of the shift uh, since you started um, your businesses, focusing on, you know, being socially conscious and focusing on the community rather than just, um, you know, the profits? Look, I can only speak about, you know, about our business and, and our experience for sure. Uh, I can tell you being part of the community, um, you know, has always been very important, if not the most important thing. If you don't have a community, you don't have a business. And so why would you want to hurt the one thing that that is actually with you? And I think there's certainly been that realization uh, amongst larger businesses, um, you know, as time has uh, progressed. And so, you know, here we are right now, and that has meant uh, getting educated on environmental issues mm -hmm. that has meant getting educated on community issues uh, and that has meant getting educated on you know what's going to be happening in the future as well it doesn't matter who you are you could be the little Indian restaurant on the corner you know guys like us or you could be the large multinational down the block um, you know you it'd be it'd make a lot of sense for you to be aware of what's happening inside your communities to make sure that you know we've got the best foot moving forward and to contribute efforts uh, where you can to make sure that community is doing good. One of the things that, uh, you know, our restaurant or two of the things that our restaurant has done throughout the years, you know, first of all, is to make sure that, you know, our environmental impact is as low as possible. And, you know, so we've always focused on uh, recycling in all our locations as much as we possibly could. Uh, you know, we switched to LED lights, uh, you know, like 12 years ago, which is uh, you know, unheard of at the time, and it came at great expense, but it meant never changing another light bulb in our restaurants ever again. And of course, it's paid off in the long run because we've never changed another light bulb ever again. And so it, it you know, it makes a ton of sense. So it, certainly there's, you know, um, there's a benefit as well. You know, if you look at things moving forward now, you know, let's just take our downtowns as an example, as a community space right now. Downtowns are probably the most challenged sectors of uh, our city. Uh, across across the country because of the pandemic and taking a sincere interest in what's going on right now because you know challenged downtowns or uh, BIAs uh, business improvement areas um, you know also has 
uh, a community cost and the, for the people that are living there or that are at the margin. Um, and so you want to make sure that there's some health there, that there's some awareness there, um, and there's some attention there where we can get it because uh, that's going to be critical to making sure that we can move forward, that people can feel vibrant, safe, um, you know, as they move around and commerce, commerce can also occur. So there really needs to be a holistic approach, um, an educated approach. You know, what I know today is not necessarily what is reality tomorrow. And so to kind of be aware of that as you move forward as well, constantly being educated, constantly learning uh, and open to those is, is a good idea. We talked a little bit about, you know, how, how there's going to be a, a faction of people who no longer, you know, come in, look, look someone in the eye, have a handshake, say thank you for the meal, you know, get to know the managers, get to know the, Stand you know, the, feet away. right. And that's so, that has traditionally been so important in business, you know, having those handshake deals, sitting down across from someone and talking to, do you feel concerned about the future that we are maybe shifting away from being so connected and, and we're a little bit more disconnected nowadays? Or do you think that we're going to, the pendulum will swing back towards that, that human connection that we, that we, that we seek? That, that's a great analogy. And I, and I believe the pendulum will swing back the other, the other way. It, it's going to take a while. I believe the hybrid model, however you want to apply it, mm. uh, whether it's to meetings, to return to work spaces, to, to organizations will exist in one capacity or another for the short term. Um, there's a couple of thoughts after that. First of all, the, the government, uh, wherever, uh, in whatever jurisdiction, whether it's Manitoba, Ontario, BC, wherever, is going to play uh, a huge role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be, you know, three parts. Uh, the first one is going to be messaging. What's the new message? You know, we've spent the last 15, 16, 17 months, uh, you know, politely, uh, if I was going to describe it as being very cautious, uh, promoting a very cautious agenda towards people. So what's the new message now moving forward to encourage them um, to be confident again? So what does that new message sound like? Number two, um, most governments across state governments or provincial governments, sorry, uh, across the country are the largest employers. So what's the plan of returning those employees back to work uh, in, you know, whether it's downtowns or in other business areas of the city and the province? How do we get them back? How do we restore that confidence? Number three, something that was very important in the 70s, 80s, and 90s in terms of bringing vibrancy back, not only to restaurants, but to venue spaces, was write-offs. And so this is recognizing that there's certain parts of the business spectrum that have done very well uh, and where others have in restaurants, hospitality, event spaces. And so, you know, if you're a large corporation, uh, you know, and for every million dollars that of profit that you make, you get $5,000 that you can write off or 10000 whatever that number is. And you know, as a personal uh, person on uh, your personal taxes, you get to write off $500 a year towards dining out at a restaurant, taking your spouse, taking your kids, uh, going to the museum, uh, attending whatever. So those are, you know, those write-offs cost the government nothing, incentivize folks to get out and help those restaurants kind of defeat, you know, those peaks that we talked about earlier that are gone, you know, those, those 5% or 10% right. of people that don't necessarily want to leave home. So that's a multi-pronged approach as to how you can kind of bring people back, you know, you know, is that the, the complete answer? No, I think there's, there's two more things that would kind of weigh in there. And the, first of all, you know, the returning to the office, I, I call it the Keener theory. And, you know, the Keener theory is you're always going to have that person inside the office that's going to want to, you know, get the promotion, 
uh, get the job done, get the contract, whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, be under the boss's nose. And, you know, that's going to require being in the office. And, you know, I, I think at some point, the invisible hand of the economy will, will see that you'll have other employees, uh, you know, maybe from a competitive standpoint or otherwise also come into the office because that's the only way you can accomplish those things um, quickly. And so I think you will see a gradual return to the office space for that reason. And the last reason I think you're going to see a, a, a bit of a return to normalcy from that end is the insurance industry who have been char characteristically quiet over the last 15, 16, and 17 months. We have not heard from them. And I imagine there's some very large questions around liability of working from home, costs of working from home, regulations around uh, safety and protocols from home, and who's responsible. And at some point, you know, if you're working from home and you're, you know, doing your eight to four or eight to five, whatever it is, and, you know, you trip on the carpet from uh, the kitchen to the bathroom or from the desk to the whatever, uh, who's paying for the, uh, who's paying for the internet? Who's responsible for all these things? If there's a fire, whose fault was that? Who's responsible? So on and so forth. And at some point, there's going to be guidance on that. And right now, again, we haven't seen it. Uh, it's going to come down. And if the cost valuation equation doesn't make sense for employers, I think, you know, sooner than later, uh, you're going to see, uh, you know, push whatever that looks like. You know, we've already, I mean, two months ago, Google already said everybody's back in, in September, October. That was Google. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, you know, 60 days ago. And lastly, I know I, I already said that, but lastly, you're going to see the carrot and the stick of the vaccine cards. Yeah. And sure. whatever that looks like in whatever jurisdiction in Manitoba, we're rolling out V cards. I don't exactly know what's going on in Ontario, you know, and at some point, you know, if you want to travel, you want to sit at that table, you want to do the thing, whatever that is, you're going to pop out the vaccine card, right? right. And, or there's going to be an ask for it. Now there's a bunch of questions with sure. vaccine cards that need to be answered. Maybe that's for another podcast, but uh, you know, for now that's going to be there. There's so many layers. It's such a complex issue, but I, I, I appreciate you allowing us to sort of pick your brain because you have so, you have so much experience in so many of the layers that it's, it's really interesting to see that you're thinking of things on multiple levels, as opposed to just, you know, one or two of them. Right. So thank you. Yeah, everything's that. connected, right? Nolan. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, you do the one thing, then the next thing happens. For yeah. sure. Well, I know you're a busy man and we've got about 15 minutes left, so we're going to have to, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. So thank sure. you very much, but, uh, we're going to skip to the just because segment. It's the same seven questions okay. that I ask all of my guests. It's about sort of the causes you care about and why. Are you okay to do that with us? Yeah, let's do okay, that great. for sure. So what is the very first cause you actually ever remember caring about? Oh, God, uh, I want to say it was the environment. Uh -huh. um, you know, very early on um, in my youth, the 80s and 90s, um, uh, 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, there was a huge awareness all of a sudden of understanding of what was going on. Um, and how interconnected those things are in the environment, leading to drought, leading to famine, um, you know, and there were huge causes pushed around that, you know, you recall the concerts and everybody coming out for those kinds of things and the awareness campaigns, you know, this is pre-internet days, right, yeah. um, that were made around that and um, they, were, they were heartbreaking, right, to, to, especially when you saw about those famines of, of what was going on. So certainly the environment uh, and an understanding of that uh, right from day one, uh, you know, would um, really um, dictate things in, in future lives. And I mentioned, you know, kind of the changes we made around the restaurants to re reflect that, you know, eight years ago, I bought a little Nissan Leaf, never looked back. 
uh, driving my little electric car around. It's, yeah. it's, it's fantastic, but you make those little changes. Yeah, for sure. Quick follow-up. Are you optimistic about the direction sort of the world is heading when it comes to the environment? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the, it, it, it all, it all boils down to education and awareness and, you know, under all, all things being equal, you know, the moment when people are presented with logical, attainable, um, you know, things to do, the or ways to do the right thing, right. they will, yeah. you know, and, and just to go back to, you know, electric cars for a second, you know, which is probably the biggest paradigm shift in the, uh, you know, in recent history in terms of uh, pollution control from uh, commercial domestic level, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the moment, and we're getting there, the moment vehicles kind of reach that $20,000 attainable 200 miles or 350 kilometer range and those crosses meet in the middle uh you're going to see mass adoption and a huge effect on what's going on with um uh you know car pollution sure great answer thank you uh question two if money and politics and logistics were no issue for you at all and you could just snap your fingers and something would happen in support of your cause what's the first thing you would do to to just make that happen mass awareness mass awareness on, on, on homelessness, um, on, on, on what's going on uh, in our cities across the country uh, when it comes to uh, mental health issues, when it comes to addictions issues. Um, you know, it's so hidden. Mm. It's so hidden. You know, we think, you know, we think that, uh, you know, when it comes to mental health, for example, we think, oh, well, that, that belongs to a certain segment of society. Um, it's everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, it's within our families. We probably know somebody dealing with it. It's difficult. It manifests itself in, in different ways. Um, and yet we still don't have the awareness and the understanding and, you know, leads to it can lead to addictions, um, you know, which leads to people sometimes being on the margin or in the worst cases on the streets. I remember one year uh, as part of our CEO sleep out, you know, you would be on the street, but I would never sleep out. I would join our chat program, which was the community homelessness assistance team at the time, you know, and you would walk around downtown from two o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock in the morning, and you'd see the spaces where people were hiding. Um, you would see the hideout spaces for, you know, all their worldwide, worldly belongings. Um, truly heartbreaking what is right under our noses and not having the awareness um, because, you know, before you can solve anything, before you can understand anything, you have to be aware of it. And then the second you're aware of it, then you can understand it. When you can understand it, you can help, uh, you can help get out of it. But there, that mass awareness needs to be there. I was just talking to my partner last night about it and she was saying sort of previous generations didn't really have the words for the, for the trauma, for the addiction, for the, for the things that we didn't really even know what it was and they would just sort of get tossed aside because we weren't aware of what we were actually dealing with or what we were actually doing. But now that we actually have definitions, now we have, you know, um, education on how, on what's actually going on at a, at a molecular level, at, at an emotional and at a physical and a mental level, like it's way easier to solve those problems now that we know what it's even called and, and what we're actually dealing with. So I think, yeah. Really, you just hit the nail on the head, having the words, yeah. having the words, yeah. having the definitions, having the understanding and the aware, you know, the awareness and the understanding uh, of the thing, you know, we, you know, you look at the abuse of alcohol, uh, potentially, you know, which is something which is just so widely available, um, you know, to deal with something that, you know, that was being used to kind of band-aid a larger issue, 
uh, and is that absolutely necessary? So yeah, yeah again, awareness. Yeah. Well said. Question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? Sorry, I missed you there, Nolan. No, no problem. Question three is what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma about your cause? Oh God, and we, we, we just discussed it, yeah. right? Um, you know, when you're talking about homelessness and you're talking about mental addictions, it's it's not in my backyard. It's uh, really not out there. It's something I read about in the newspaper or, you know, it, it, somebody out there just did a terrible thing and you know, it's just that and it's, it's, it's isolated. Um, you know, I don't think we appreciate uh, the, the depth uh, in our communities, uh, you know, maybe the person next to us uh, that are dealing with very difficult situations and scenarios. Yeah, very well said. Question four, uh, what is a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you're you're proud of achieving, you know, something that happened recently that you you consider a dub. You you got a you got a victory. You got a you got a win. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean this came from a terrible situation and um, it's probably about a month and a half ago or so at this point. And, um, you know, it was going into the weekend, it was the Friday going into the weekend, I talked to my cousin sister in India. And, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, what was happening with the spread of COVID out in India, mm -hmm. unchecked, seemingly. Like hundreds unchecked. of thousands, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people that need that needed respirators that needed. I, I saw something on Twitter that you guys were donating a portion of your sales or something. Can you just quit? I know we yeah. we don't have time, but t or tell me quickly. I'll about go what, very, what I'll that go very quick. Okay. And so we're going to that week. I talked to her and she, you know, she's describing the situation there was in, you know, in India, there's no peak roofs. It's all flat roofs. And she was mentioning that, you know, all she could see for as far as the eye could see all around her was these gray puffs of smoke, which are these, you know, crematoriums uh, or these cremation sites that were popping up just to accommodate you know, what the reality on the ground was. Oh and so on Monday, you know, we could see a huge scattered effect across social media from Canada, people trying to help in these different ways. And so we didn't want to create just our own. And so we joined, you know, um, a, a group of community volunteers, Anil Seda, uh, the India Association of Manitoba that kind of set up a GoFundMe. And I think there were five, $6,000 when we joined them on the Monday. And so we decided that, you know, we would help portion of sales. We staked $2,000 immediately. We put a video out. We pushed it huge on social media across all our locations. And within 11 days, we were at $52,000. And that allowed us to send over a number of concentrators. And thanks to Anil, those concentrators, you know, we were DHLing them. So it, would you believe in Canada, you can't buy a concentrator, you have to have a medical license. So we had to buy these things out of the States, DHL them directly to the Holy Spirit hospitals in Delhi and Mumbai wow. uh, where they were landing directly and then they were creating air it was a huge win you know I remember doing an interview at that time and the CTV people went uh, or asked me sorry and said hey isn't the restaurant business really hard hit right now uh, you know how do you how do you do this mm -hmm. and uh, you know I just said like yes we've probably lost uh, our retirement uh, we're we're in dire straits a hundred percent but when you look at what's going on there right now with hundreds of thousands of new cases a day, thousands of deaths a day, and that's just the official number, right? there is no context. You know, we absolutely, this is a humanitarian crisis. You absolutely have to do what you can. And again, you know, people rallied, people rallied. Look at the push. It was, it was amazing. And so the Air for India campaign 
um, you know, was a massive, uh, massive awareness uh, campaign from the student company, uh, Neil Seda and the India Association. So yeah, thanks to everybody involved. That was huge. Incredible. I, I've been talking a lot with friends lately about sort of just the collective trauma that we've all been going for through. And it reminds me of 9-11. Like we, we're all going to remember, oh, you, you know how everyone says, where were you when, when you found out the planes hit the towers or whatever it's going to be like what was your like how many beautiful stories are going to come out of this last year and a half of exactly the air for india campaign and so many things people are going to remember back to this time because we're all collectively going through this traumatic experience and i think it's gonna i'm hoping it's gonna sort of bring humanity together so that's one great beautiful example of that uh, it's lovely question five what's the best advice you've ever been given be patient be patient so important. Be patient. Nothing is, nothing is overnight. Um, no one, nothing is, is overnight. It takes time, whether that's at an organization level, at an awareness level, at an understanding level, or even your personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you just learned today in this moment, uh, you know, give it some time. Give yourself a day. Mm-hmm. Um, go over that thing. Um, see what's going on around you, consult others, be patient, take the time um, and learn about the thing. Um, and I think that applies all around. I've, I've seen it used successfully um, at all kinds of different spaces. It works. Be Beautiful. patient. Yeah, and just listen, you know, patience leads to just li- sitting and listening. That's, that's so important. You know, there's been so much, you know, like we've had some terrible news out there um, in the news recently. Um, you know, with respect to some significant historical issues right. in Canada. Right. And, you know, you, you see these, this leadership rushing out. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's listen. Yeah. Let's stop. Let's listen to the voices that need to be heard. Um, and, and just be still for a moment. And, 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 and we can do that. And I, and I think sometimes doing that um, yields a little bit uh, greater understanding. Very well said. Beautiful. A couple more questions, then we'll let you go. What yeah. advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him right now? Keep learning. Uh, oh my God. Constantly learning. It's, it's, it's simultaneously the hardest thing in the world and the easiest thing in the world. Um, you know, the, the, the hard part about it today, you know, first of all, there's so much, there's so much information out there these days. I mean, just anything information overload you know we, we talked about the internet a little bit earlier right um you know the hard part about that there's so much information out there right what do you trust where do you go how is it validated is it accredited um you know what are you bringing in um so yes keep learning be cautious of where you're learning from um but make sure you keep learning it, it never changes constantly being educated being made aware uh, you know, my dad used to say, right, like the older I get, the less I know. And it's, uh, you know, sometimes you want to fight that absolutely as hard as you can. Beautifully said. I love it. Yeah, I've been thinking about that so much. You don't stop learning just because you graduate, right? Like just because you get the piece of paper, you got to still treat that, yourself as a student. A, that student mindset. Yeah, it's just the exactly. start. Beautifully. Last question. It's usually the hardest one. Sachet, thank you so much for this conversation. It's inspired me and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful to even just meet you. So thank you. But the last question is, what do you want to be remembered for? To have been a contributing member of this community, to have added to the discussion, to have been a voice, um, 
you know, occasionally for, for those that haven't had one, um, to have brought uh, a bit of awareness around a table or a board table, um, to have been part of the ongoing cultural discussion that is Canada. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, for this community, about this community. Um, it's been very good so far and I'm thankful, I'm grateful that, um, you know, I don't need to be wait to be remembered. I'm, I'm living that right now. And, uh, you know, this community is phenomenal at, at every level. Uh, and they demonstrated that day in, day out. Um, and if never before, they have over the last 17 months. Thank you. Beautifully said. You know, you speak like a poet. You speak in, in very beautiful words. So I appreciate I, I just it's it's like music to my ear. So thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a wonderful t- opportunity to get to know you a little bit and uh, for you to be on the podcast. So thank you so much. Nolan, an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Please give my best to absolutely everyone uh, at the office. And if you ever need a second for that uh, Ness uh, game in the back, please let me know. Will do. Thank you, Sachet. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Sachet for being on the show. And thank you for listening. Uh, Sachet is clearly a very well-spoken guy, clearly very intelligent. And I feel honored to, you know, hear his ideas and hear a little bit of wisdom. And I hope you, you know, gain something from it because I did. I definitely did. If you like what you heard today, uh, you can also listen to Because Radio, the Winnipeg Foundation's weekly radio program on 93.7 CJNU in Winnipeg. Every Thursday at noon, or you can visit them at becauseradio.org. All music on the show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton, and a very special thank you to Nancy Mack, Robert Zirk, and the rest of the Winnipeg Foundation team. Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can follow the foundation at WPGFDN on all social media, or you can visit WPGFDN to learn more. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all the social medias, and thank you for listening to me have conversations. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We'll see you next week. And remember, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Bye-bye.